Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question to start with, and that is, if you could, by some amazing thing, be able to listen to a full conversation that Jesus had on earth with somebody or a group of people, if you could like tune in and, and understand the language and all that, which conversation would you choose to eavesdrop on? You've got 30 seconds. Think about it. Tell the person next to you. Go. Do you know what? I can see some conversations now that I'd like to be eavesdropping on myself. Because <laughs> some of you are really intently going for this. Thank you. That is great. Okay. Um, we could go through and, you know, take 10 minutes listening to all the different things that you've suggested and, and um, reasons that you would give for that. But I've, I've kind of thought of a few. Um, so if this was you, just give me a shout and a wave and a yee-haw or something. Um, um, who chose Jesus in the temple talking to the um, leaders? So Jesus when he was a little, hey, good one, Graham. Yes, fantastic. That's a good one, isn't it? I'd love to just hear him unpack the scriptures. What about an even more in-depth study of Jesus talking to the woman at the well? Who went for that one? Yeah, I thought my, a few people would go for that. Graham's waving on that one too. He's like, yeah, all of them. He's, I can see a theme developing here. Um, how about, okay, the Last Supper, how Jesus spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, that would just have been such an incredible thing. And finally, who chose Jesus talking, and I love this, talking to his disciples on the Emmaus Road? Yeah, a couple of people. You're on the right page there. Okay, that is the one that I think I would choose. And I'm about to read part of it to you. And you might be going, I really thought we were in the Old Testament. Don't worry, we will land there in a minute. Okay, I've, I've selected certain verses from this for time's sake from the Passion Translation, absolutely gorgeous. Um, so it's Luke 24. If you listen really carefully, you might understand where we're going with this, and some of you will know already. Later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? They stopped and Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus asked, what things? I mean, just as an aside here, what a great um, conversationalist. Of course he knew what happened. I mean, that goes without saying. Um, sometimes in questions, people ask us questions and Jesus was the master at this. Someone asks us a question, answer it with another question. Get somebody to open up. What things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied, he was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves, found the tomb exactly like the women said, but no one's seen him. Jesus said to them, 
Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then to enter his glory? Then, this is the key verse, 27, he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. That's the conversation I want to hear. Don't you? Don't you? Yes. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Don't you just love it? I do. do you know, I never get tired of reading that story. Why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn within us? While we walked beside him, he unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scripture. Wow. They left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem, all of 17 miles all over again, to tell the other disciples. Then Jesus said to them, don't you remember the words I spoke to you when I was still with you? I've jumped a bit, by the way, in the story, because he's appeared again. I told you everything written about me would be fulfilled, including all the prophecies from the law of Moses, through the Psalms and the writings of the prophets, that they would all find their fulfillment. And then verse 45, another key verse, he supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. Then said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied of me. Christ the Messiah was destined to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem, for you are my witnesses and you have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I mean, honestly, isn't that just a great way to start what we're doing today? I mean, I've just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed myself. Great. Okay, let's get rid of that for the minute. So that's where I would be. I would be on the Emmaus Road, even if it was walking 17 miles and my feet had blisters and my hips were aching. And I was just kind of thinking, oh, no, but just tell me. I wouldn't even notice those things because, wow. I'd love to hear him unpack the scriptures. So I'm going to pray right now that God enables us to do exactly that this morning, to hear his voice unpacking the scriptures for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you that throughout the Old Testament, you are marching towards your own incarnation. And we're going to look at the pattern and the promise and the presence of you throughout. Help us supernaturally unlock our understanding right now, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, we find examples of Jesus. And some, some of them are really easy to spot, and others of them are a bit more obscure. First of all, the promise of Jesus. Okay, the promise in the character of Joshua. Okay? Joshua actually is... a uh, Hebrew name for Jesus. Okay, it's the same name, but just in a different language. The pattern of Jesus in the life of Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, taken into slavery, treated badly, and then rises in power in order to redeem his brothers. 
The presence of Jesus in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of um, Daniel, the fourth man. Didn't I put three men in the fire, says the king. I can see a fourth man there, and he looks like a son of the gods. Wow. And there is Jesus right there, walking with them in the flames. So we've got those three different ways of looking at it. We've got the promise of Jesus, we've got the pattern of Jesus, and we've got the presence of Jesus. Now my job this morning is not to look through those examples that are on the screen, but to dive into Exodus. So that's where we're going to go. Um, And we're not actually going to look at people, because I thought people are quite easy to sort of spot the pattern of their lives as indicating or being a type of Christ, but we're going to look at different events and things that happened. So Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So what do we see there? How is that burning bush a picture or an indication of the promise of Jesus? How does that work? I think we're on the next slide now. If we can move on to it, please. That'd be great. Thank you. Might even be on the one after that. Um, So, God's people are often referred to as a plant or as his garden throughout the Bible. The suffering of God's people in Egypt is described as a furnace more than once in the Bible. Here at the burning bush, it's not too much of a stretch of imagination to see that God paints a picture of Moses, for Moses, of the furnace. His people are in and yet... Here's the promise, I am, that is Yahweh, that is the everlasting one who always has been and always will be, descends right here into the burnings to be with them, to rescue and lead them out. I'd like to suggest to you that the echoes of the I am resound throughout scripture. I've kind of taken the, the next thing that's in italics there on the screen. Um, I've taken some stuff that I read and um, kind of made it my own. So I'm going to read it straight out there. As he is being betrayed in John 18, Jesus speaks his name and the troops drew back and fell to the ground. Do you remember that? He says, I am. All he's saying is, I'm the one from Galilee. I'm the one from Nazareth. Nazareth. On the surface, these words simply identify Jesus as being from Nazareth. But like the other I am statements in John, this also reveals Jesus as God, Yahweh, the ever-eternal 
everlasting one. Which explains the impacts of this word on the troops. And I love this. This is what I nicked. Who are involuntarily smitten by this momentary unleashing of his inherent power as God. Don't you love that? Just get that again. The troops who have come to arrest Jesus are involuntarily smitten by this momentary unleashing of his inherent power as God, just as he says, I am. That's all he's saying, I am. And another just little aside, I noticed he says, I am, three times in that passage. And one of the commentators has said, he says, I am, because he is so keen to identify that he is the man that should be taken. He didn't want any of the other Galileans around him, his disciples, to be taken. Even in that moment of betrayal, he was looking out for his disciples. Isn't that amazing? Just incredible. So there is Jesus, the I am. And we get a picture of that in the burning bush. I'm about to come and do something. I'm about to come and rescue you. I'm in the burning. So we're whizzing forward. Moses has gone into back to Egypt, and he has um, seen what has been going on because God's told him to. He's challenged Pharaoh, and all the um, awful um, things have been, have been there to strike down, all the plagues. That's the word I was struggling to find. Um, but if we move on to the very last days of the Israelites' time in Egypt, we'll go to Exodus 12, and it says this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. This is God speaking. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And then the next verse says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. But they had to do something. They had to apply the blood of a perfect lamb to their doorposts. So again, we've got the same kind of idea, a pattern. God hearing the cry of his people. The people are in captivity. The people are rescued and redeemed and released. A saviour God leads them into the promised land. That's a kind of fast track through the next few chapters, if you weren't sure. <laughs> but what about the Passover lamb? Let's go and see where we see Jesus in this. Because in the New Testament, we've got John... I love the book of John. I'm kind of falling in love with it all over again as I'm doing these studies. John 1, 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because of his blood being shed, we no longer fear the angel of death. We have applied the blood to our lives. We've said, Jesus, forgive me. If you haven't done that yet, it's as easy as that. You say, Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. As a little aside, I'll tell you um, a story of something that happened um, this week. Um, in one of my more challenging moments, um, somebody asked me in my other job, so how does this Christian thing actually work? And it was in the context of understanding the crucifixion. So what do Christians say? And it was this quite cheeky lad who was asking me these questions. And I just said, well, Christians say a very simple prayer along the people who want to be Christians or want forgiveness. They just say, thank you, sorry, please, and just gave them that kind of um, outline. And he took a pen out of his pocket and got a little post-it note. And he started scribbling. He said, Miss, can you say that again, please? Because I've got a feeling that I'm going to need it. <laughs> and I was like, 
okay? Um, and I just went, you know, because um, all the time I'm balancing off what I can and can't say. And, um, and I said, you, you've got the essence of it. Thank you, sorry, please. That's, that's basically it. But I just thought, isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that gorgeous that somebody who is not brought up in any Christian context at all understands the need for thank you, sorry, please, understands the need for some kind of redemption and forgiveness. Wonderful. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1.19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus, our Lamb. Hebrews 9, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. What an incredible, incredible thing when we really get a hold of that. And we see that God sets up the Old Testament writers and the Old Testament stories to show the pattern and the promise and the presence of Christ moving throughout the history of the Old Testament. It's there. He's there. We just need to have our minds unlocked to see him. Finally, and this is my big point that God has just been so excited. You know, sometimes I just get too excited and I have to be... I said the other day when we were having our team breakfast, I said, oh, I don't have, I don't have coffee on school days because I just get too excited. <laughs> I can actually get a bit too excited. And I haven't had any today, you'll be glad to hear. Um, but I, I seriously do. I get a little bit... Um, but seriously, when I get into this stuff and I begin to see the bigness of it all, I'm like, Lord... And I've known a lot of it for a lot of my life. But isn't that wonderful? And those of you who are older and further on than me in the faith are kind of going, yes, Sarah, of course. You know, yes, tell us something we don't know. But the constant revelation of God speaking to us and showing us things from his word. I mean, this topic alone we could spend, I don't know, three months on and not get right down to the depths of it. Don't worry, I'm only here for a few more minutes. Okay, um, finally then, in Exodus 25.8, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is a picture of God's longing to be with his people. So the tabernacle served several purposes. It first of all carried the presence, and if you look along the top there, we've got the Old Testament um, passages. And if you look along the bottom, we've got the New Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament first. So in Exodus 25, 8, let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So even when the people of God have, have seriously messed up, I mean, originally, way back in Genesis, thrown out the garden, God can't walk with them anymore in the way that he did with Adam and Eve because the sin means he cannot touch, he cannot be part of it. But... He's saying, I want, I, I'm, I'm going to institute this, this whole new rule of sacrifice. And, and as we saw last week, the whole idea of, and Rich had his leather jacket up here, the whole idea of the skin of something, something had to be killed in order for the clothing of righteousness to be put back onto humanity. And there's the picture again. We see it today, right here. Jesus. Sorry, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. No, I'm not. Let's go back. Um, the presence. Let them make a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. So God wants to live with his people. But he cannot just hang out with them and walk around with them like he did in the garden. 
He says, I need a place, and within that place, I need a separate place, and within that, I need a, a very holy place where I will be, and that will be a, a, a symbol of, of my absolute holiness. And people can only come into that place once a year, and actually, that's the high priest, and he can only do that if he has done the right sacrificial stuff. Gosh. But it underlines the fact God wants to be with his people. He wants to be there. He's not up there somewhere. He's right down here among them. And what happens in the tabernacle is not just a place of presence, it's a place of revelation. There I will meet you and give you all my commands later on in that same chapter. It's also a place of atonement, chapter 29. There I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated. It will be consecrated because of the sacrifices that are made. It's made holy. People can be at one. Atonement is happening because of what happens at the tabernacle and how does that kind of translate into the story of Jesus well of course you're all ahead of me because you've read what's on the slide John 1 1 14 the word that is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us he tabernacled among us one of the translations says wow that's God he's not he's not just like in a building, in a, tabernacle, in a tabernacle or a temple. He's right here walking among us. He moved into the neighborhood, as the message beautifully says. And we have seen his glory. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, the revelation. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we've had the prophets and they're kind of indicating to us something that is to come. But here he is now. He's come. Jesus is here. And then the atonement, Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So in his body, in this tabernacle that he lived in, he was the sacrifice. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins to be received by faith, which is what we can do easily this morning by just saying, thank you, sorry, please. Dear God, thank you. Now, last week, Richard showed us a template of, we can have the next slide up, please. Thank you. Um, the big picture story of the Bible. And this pattern is called, for those of you who like geeky kind of words, the pattern of something like this is called a chiastic. Okay, that's spelled C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C, chiastic. Now, the chiastic structure, once you kind of think about it, it's there throughout the Bible. And just this morning, while I was out, um, before I came here, I was just um, having a little jog around, and, and this thought came to me about the chiastic structure of this tabernacle idea. So in Genesis, as I've already said, God walks with Adam and Eve. His presence is right there. The presence. Remember, the tabernacle speaks of the presence. After the sin enters, after sin enters the world, the tabernacle and the temple are introduced because of God's huge desire to still be with his people. But that's not enough. And this is the central point, the incarnation again. Jesus comes, pays the price. The curtain in the temple is torn in two. And that means now we can enter the presence. And this is where it gets even more insane because things never, the, the new creation is never exactly the same as what happened before. The new creation is all the more glorious. We can enter the presence. The Holy Spirit is now poured out, as was promised at the end of our first passage in Luke 24. I'm going to suggest to you, and you know it already, that we don't need a temple 
we don't need to follow the old rules anymore. We actually don't. They were just a picture. I also want to suggest to you, if you go right back to the very beginning of Genesis, when you think about God making humankind in his image, the reason why Jewish people never made an idol that was meant to represent God was because they were his image. They were his people. The image of God, we are, if you like, and I once heard somebody speak on this, and they did it in a way that confused and offended me, but I'm over that now. Um, we are actually God's idols. We are God's images to walk around. We are full of his spirit. We have been given the um, forgiveness that we need. We've been given the revelation of who we are in Christ. And again, that whole thing that Aaron brought about anxiety, so important that we remember who we are in Christ. Living in this modern world, we can so easily get distracted. We've got a postcard in our kitchen that says, do not be afraid of tomorrow. God is already there. God is already there because he's the eternal one. He's already there. He's got it sorted, okay? And I'm thinking of some of my classes tomorrow, and I'm thinking, he's got that sorted. Obviously, I've got to do my prep, but he's got that sorted, those relationships, those, all that, all the stuff into the future that I might concern myself with. He's got it sorted. He's there. He's there. He's present among us. So there's no need for old rules, regulations, laws, festivals. We don't need to worry about that. We are free because we are in Christ. We are his temple. Ephesians 2, and I love the way this is kind of segued. Again, it happened just this morning. Beautifully back, if you can segue back, I'm not sure, um, to where we were in our last topic when we were talking about building the house. Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. He was there all along, under the ground, waiting to be revealed. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That's who you are. You are the temple of God. Okay? And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, I think that's got to be my favorite passage at the moment, along with Luke 24 and, um, well, actually quite a few others. Right. As I was thinking about this about a week ago, and um, <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. I woke up one morning, and I hadn't slept very well, and I had a really busy day ahead of me, and I woke up. And I don't know if any of you ever kind of wake up and you're in a sort of a strange position, you know, I've... I've inherited from my dad the need to have at least one foot out of the bed at all times so one foot is like this hanging off the end and um you know bare and cold but not feeling cold because that's what i need to i don't know it's weird don't worry about it um don't get distracted by that that's not the main point of the story um I, so i'm lying there like this and my, you know my cheeks like that and dribbled onto the all the usual thing and i'm lying there like that and i'm going lord do i have to do this again today really really do i have to and then i was just like Yes, Jesus, you went every day, you did every day for me, you got yourself up, you set your face as a flint because of the joy that was set before you. And I was like, okay, I'm expecting some joy today, Lord. And I just started to talk to him about that and trying to gear myself up, because we have all been there, haven't we, where we feel like that in the mornings. Yeah, not enough people, or maybe you're just all more holy than me, I don't know. Um, and I was thinking about, because I'd already seen this pattern, pro promise, and, and presence thing. And I was just like, Lord, I need to be more like you. 
and he just straight back, you know how he does, just with not many words, unlike me, um, straight back, you are my pattern now. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was going to happily end at that point where, you know, yeah, the tabernacle and all that. But actually, no, I am the pattern of Jesus to the people that I see every day. I am the promise of Jesus, the incarnation. Oh, that will sound really weird if somebody just came in and heard that line. But you get the context that we're talking in here, don't you? We are all called to be the pattern of Jesus in the world. We are his body on earth. We are his promise to the world. We can walk into a situation, people will feel better because we've just entered the room. Somebody said to me, again, at my other job, um, little kid said, I don't know why, but I love coming into this room, miss. And I'm like, well, I think I know why. And I went, oh, I'm really pleased, like that, and just, yeah. I mean, it is a nice classroom, I have to say, but um, there's more to it than that, I'm sure. But little moments like that, you kind of go, yeah. And someone else said, I don't know why. I know I'm naughty sometimes, but I always feel safe here. Those are all things that have been said in the last week. And I'm like, oh, that's it. The promise, the promise of safety, the promise of refuge, the promise of grace, the promise of forgiveness. That's what we should carry around with us because that's who we are. We are God's image in the world. And we are the presence of Christ in a desperate world. So I said to Rich the other day when I was talking through, because we talked through things when we were preparing things, I said, I think I'm going to, I said, I think I'm going to finish with this idea of us being the pattern and the promise and the presence of Christ in the world. He said, okay, so are you using Acts 29 for that? And I just went, Acts 29. There is no Acts 29. Acts 28 is the final chapter of Acts in the New Testament. So think about that. We get to continue the story. That's why we're here. We're not here for this. We're here for them. You know, this is for that, as somebody said recently. And that's what I really pray that we can carry with us as we go into our week. Should we stand together? Thank you for listening so amazingly well. As we just stand in your presence, Lord, we just want to say what an incredible, unspeakable privilege it is to be your image here. If you have resonated with some of what I've said this morning in terms of, well, I want to know this Jesus. I don't know. I didn't know that I could be forgiven. I didn't know that I could live a God-filled life on this earth. I don't really understand what that's about, but um, just some of what you've said has really caught my attention. If that is you this morning, then talk to one of us on the front row here straight at the end of the service or if you've come with somebody um, talk to them about it the minute you can say I'd like to know more about this
I'd like to know this Jesus who marches right from the book of Genesis right through towards his own incarnation and has continued by sending his spirit into his people, his temple here on earth. I'd like to know more about that. I'd like to know that Jesus. God, we just give ourselves to you. We're humbled that you would choose us. And we're excited and a bit scared, if we're honest, about what that might mean, about you sending us out of our comfort zones. But God, we just take it on. We take on what you have called us to. Help us to be your pattern, to remember your promise and to live out your presence in our world.